You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Music Tectonics, the podcast where we look at the seismic shifts affecting music, music tech, and all the other cultural phenomena surrounding those two worlds. Today is a very interesting group of people that we'll, uh, we were originally going to be doing for live from Austin, which was pretty exciting. But since South by Southwest didn't come together the way it usually does this year, we decided we still wanted to convene some of the folks involved with the South by Southwest. West Music Tech Hackathon. Um, and I've got Luann Williams from South by here, who is one of the few folks that makes the hackathon happen every year. Um, and it's usually focused on music and music technology. But there's a little bit of an expanded um, vision for the hackathon this year um, that hopefully will resonate and live on and is very relevant to our times. But I'm going to let Luann jump in and tell us a little bit about what the hackathon is and what it was hoping to accomplish and what it hopefully will accomplish in days to come. Yes, thank you, Trista, for, in, for inviting us to be a part of this. I appreciate it. Um, so this year was slated to be the seventh annual South by Southwest Hackathon, which has been so fun this year. And, um, and from the beginning, it was about music and music tech. And in the past couple of years, we've included more stuff like AR and VR and machine learning and blockchain. Um, but this year was going to be a pretty big shift change because we were adding new categories and themes, including climate change and social action and corresponding subcategories around health and wellness and how climate change and music can affect health and wellness too. And one of the reasons we were going to do that is one, because Climate change is a personally a big concern of mine, but also we wanted to mirror some of the new programming at South by Southwest this year, and there was going to be a whole track around climate change and social action. And so we were going to offer hackers the option of creating projects under the music category, like we've always done, uh, or the climate and social action category. But we also wanted to see how maybe we could combine those two subjects, which I was pretty excited about the intersection of that. Um, And part of the idea relevant to today's conversation is how the music community can lead innovation in times of distress and how that ties into conversations around climate change and social action and, you know, engaging the community to create change, artists and tech creatives, um, they're artistic perspective rather than maybe a more dry academic approach to all of that. And we've been speaking to a group based in the UK called Music Declares Emergency, which is a group of artists and music industry professionals that work together, stand together to declare climate change and ecological emergency, calling for an immediate government response to to all of that. So, So that was kind of where it was going. And, you know, because we have so many diverse hackers, you know, we weren't, we weren't quite sure where all this was going to go, but we were excited about the possibilities and having all these, these great minds in, in the room. And if, if I could take a second just to talk about some of the stats, we had 400 hackers apply this year. We were going to have about 150 on site. We had 91 women apply, which was pretty exciting because we, our goal was to have a lot more women this year. And five of our six judges were women. Um, we had 14 mentors, all of whom are included in this conversation today. And we had uh, 
mentors from several disciplines, from music, music and music tech, uh, from climate, the climate world, from gaming, from health and med tech, uh, from the MIT Media Lab, from the Texas Health Collab at the Dell Medical School here, uh, previous hackathon winter winners, uh, folks from Unity Technologies, and then Arabian Prince was actually going to be our, our opening keynote speaker, so we were super excited to have him. So that's kind of all of it in a nutshell, and we were sad that it wasn't able to happen, but um, you know the ideas are still flowing, and and hopefully we'll come back and do this again next year. That's great, and maybe we can help set the stage um, from uh, at least from the mentor's perspective, and talk through some of the ideas that might be relevant or exciting to explore in future hackathons. Um, first, I'd like to introduce our three mentors and esteemed thinkers who are going to be giving us their perspectives on music tech and crisis today. First up, I'd love to, if you could introduce yourself a little bit. Um, we've got Helen Sartori, from, who's the director of Rattle LA. We have Arabian Prince, uh, aforementioned keynote. And we have Berkelu, who is an amazing uh, multimedia artist, engages a lot with tech, based in Berlin. But Helen, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you were hoping to share with the hackers Sure. So um, I've been involved in the South by Hackathon for, I don't even know, years and years now. Um, I was originally introduced through Travis Laurendine, who's a, um, one of the great pioneers in, in this kind of uh, intersection of music and technology. Um, I spend most of my time these days uh, working with the Russell in LA. We, um, we have two essentially incubators for um, emerging musicians, emerging music tech, one based in LA, one based in London. Um, and that's basically found out of found out of the idea that we believe that artists think like founders and founders and activists and uh, entrepreneurs are all essentially going through the same types of processes of trying to birth something into the world that didn't exist before, trying to make a change in the world that didn't exist before. Um, so we try and take a lot of uh, inspiration from tech accelerator models um, and bring them to emerging artists to help them build different types of careers in the music industry. That for me was a culmination of about 10 years of trying to run those two worlds in parallel. I had a, a dark past in technology banking. I did M&A for early stage technology companies for a while, but I was also by night uh, an independent musician running an electronic music project. Um, and I could never really understand why the, the ways those two worlds were operating was so different when when they were trying to achieve the same things like I said bring new ideas into the world so that's what I spend most of my time doing now working with artists and young music companies trying to get a new wave of culture a new wave of ideas um, into the mainstream great thanks so much um, Arabian can you tell us a little bit about how you you've also spent a long time thinking like an artist and an entrepreneur oh yeah um, I mean um, growing up where I came from in Compton, you know, it was one of those things where you had to kind of hustle to figure out a way to get out. You know, as a young kid, I was one of these kids that had a vision of wanting to do more, wanting to be more and all of these things. And I really didn't have much choice because I had uncles and cousins who were actually at the time, the people doing all of the bad stuff in the neighborhood anyway, and they didn't want me to grow up like them. So they kind of gave me an ultimatum, like, you don't do what we do. You stay in a house and you learn stuff. And, you know, that kind of started it all. And then, you know, 
during their rehabilitation time when they all got sent away to the military, I was blessed enough to be on the receiving end of a lot of high-end technology back in the late 70s, early 70s, and the early 80s. They would come back from overseas with synthesizers and ham radios and you know all kind of other electronics that you couldn't get in the U.S. or L.A., but because they were on you know uh, Navy ships and in the Air Force, they were able to bring all this stuff in. And as a young kid, I got to play with all this stuff. So, you know, that was what opened my eyes to creativity. And, hey, there's a lot of other stuff out there in the world that, you know, most people don't know about. And here I am in this young kid learning about this. And it just kept going from there. And when I made my first record at 15 and a half and I got my first royalty check, first thing I went out and did was bought computers. And this was early 80s when most people didn't even know what a personal computer was. So for me getting in that early, it actually helped me to push the boundaries. And, you know, today that's what I'm trying to do for the youth coming up, just saying, hey, what are you waiting for? Like everything is out there for you. All the information is there. Like I'm from the before times, there was no internet, you know, so we had to figure it out other ways, but you guys have Google and Yahoo and YouTube to be able to create and do whatever you want now. So whatever your passion is, go do it. And, you know, that's just my passion is to, to bring that knowledge. That's awesome. Thanks. And Birke, please tell us a little bit about your background and how you approach technology and music and creativity. Yeah, so I come from a very scientific family. Both of my parents are somewhere in the science research side. But I guess in my heart and in my world, I was always an artist. So I had to kind of do both and find myself in the combination of both. Um, I started studying physics. I have a bachelor in physics where I specialized in complex systems theory. And then did the crossover to the art school and studied digital media, which was a combination of um, media art, interaction design, media theory, media informatics. And from there, have been working on a lot of interdisciplinary projects between arts, music, um, tech, mainly working as a visual artist and as a musician and at the crossovers of both. But of course, I also always was really interested in new technologies, new scientific research, um, what that means for our culture, for us as human beings. And the past three years, I got back to university and I spent three years teaching courses at the University of Arts in Berlin, where I was lucky enough that they called me and they asked me, what do you want to teach? <laughs> do you want to teach here? And if so, what do you want to teach? So I said I want to teach something around virtual reality and augmented reality, and I created courses that dealt with music performance in virtual and augmented realities and creating music with tools like AI and um, virtual instruments. That's fantastic. And in some ways, the scientific side is a great place to start. Science is all about how do you ask the right questions, right? And when we're in a crisis, sometimes we don't even know what questions to ask. So uh, thinking from your own perspectives, how do you see our current crisis? Um, right now, a lot of us are in 
quarantine. We're at home. We're trying to engage with the outside world. Maybe we're not sure what we even need. Um, what kind of questions do you think people should be starting to ask as uh, technologists or as artists in order to engage with um, this particular crisis? What I'm hoping to see out of this, yeah, what, I, what I'm hoping to see um, is is having people have quiet time, um, more time to reflect means that we'll get beyond what kind of this social media world has become, which is essentially a broadcast and consumption mechanism and back to what it was intended to be, which is a, a place to interact and a place to connect with people. And I, I do think I'm seeing that happen. Um, people are taking more time to discover music instead of relying on a kind of a laid back algorithm um, machine. Um, and I think that I'm what I'm hoping is people l learn to reconnect using technology um, in a way that has been masked in the kind of mass consumption of the last few years. Um, but maybe that's me being over optimistic. And we'll all go back to normal in, in a couple of months time. But that's what I'm hoping to see. Well, you know, I, I don't think that's a really optimistic and you got to you got to start somewhere, right? Um, Arabian, what do you what do you want to add? Um, well, you know, I've been looking at this kind of from a scientific perspective because I'm like this Willy Wonka guy. Anytime that there's a change in our community, in our livelihood, in the world, we have to start thinking about the future. And I've always been this futurist guy that looks like, okay, this is happening. And instead of just sitting around, like we have a ton of time to sit here and do nothing or do something, what is the future going to look like? There are companies out there not worried about right now. They're worried about, okay, this is going to change our world forever. What is that change going to be? And how can we put things in place that are going to help, you know, grow the community, grow the world, and also stop this from happening again? And on the creative side, it's very interesting because now you're seeing creatives, especially a lot of the, I would say, A-listers or, you know, um, celebrities and entertainers and musicians who everything came to them, you know, like, OK, I've got a year concert tour. I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. And now everybody's on the same level playing field right now. Like, uh oh, there's no work. Like, what do I do? Okay, now I got to go back to square one and you're seeing people becoming people again. It's kind of like I got to go on social media and I have to interact with other people. And look, I have gray hair now. And look, I, you know, I'm like, I don't have my hair cut and I'm sitting in my pajamas, but I have to interact with people to create a new type of business model. So I think what's going to happen with What's going on now is you're going to see a whole new way of creation and a whole new way of interacting with people going forward. And, you know, um, to what I believe it was Helena Burke just said is that this may happen or it may not. You know, we as humans in a couple of months might go, oh, that was fun. OK, it's over. I'm going to go right back to being how I was. And I hope that's not the case. I hope we all change for the better, but you know, we'll have to wait and see, but I'm not sitting by, I'm actually working on a lot of projects right now, both on the gaming side of things and on the entertainment side of things to help change this dynamic going forward. 
yeah, I definitely see with the the two with the artists that we work with, there seems to be still two camps, and I'm wondering if they're going to merge over the next few weeks as we get used to the new the new reality. One one is the I'm going to stick to what I know. I'm going to put my head in the sand. I'm going to write, and then when the world's back to normal, I'm going to put it out there just like I would have. And the, the people that I think are really going to do well are the people that have understood that this might not go back to normal. Uh, even if it does, there's an opportunity here to figure out a new way of doing things. And um, like we said, the, the, the people who are interacting, who are creating new ways to connect with people and audiences, they're the people that um, are getting ready for a new reality. And I think Arabian talking about gaming is such an, an interesting analogy because that that's the one industry that has really um, nailed how to connect people in their homes. Um, and we're seeing a lot of musicians and artists look to gaming for new models, um, new ways of monetizing, new ways of getting messages and culture and, and things out into the world. Um, so I think there'll be a, a, an interesting uh, expansion of the type of things that we associated with a gaming cultural mentality, um, kind of moving out into the world in a wider way. Yeah. I also thought that it's really interesting over the last couple of weeks, you could see that people on the one side, they were very eager for social contact. They really started to value social connection and being present with each other in a space. So that was beautiful to see. At the same time, people learned to use more technologies, new technologies. A lot of musicians adapt to streaming. They find formats to stream their music, to make it available in different ways. So I'm really curious to see how these two sides of, of the change that we're experiencing will come together once we are able to move more freely again. And I think that that could be a very fruitful learning and development process. And actually, it's also somewhere, it's a very actual problem or thing we, we need to solve as a society, like how to be social within social media, how to um, be present through technologies, how, to, how can we really bring ourselves with the technologies. And I think the crisis could catalyze this in the process. And I'm curious to see if that will happen. Absolutely. That's, that's the perfect way to say it. I was just going to say, it's very interesting how this has affected events as well, because so many events were planned post South by Southwest after they canceled. And um, a lot of these events are going online. Several hackathons are happening online. There's a music uh, conference in um, New Orleans uh, that's happening vir virtually. Uh, so the transition there is very interesting, too, because people, you know, the show, they want the show to go on and they want people to stay engaged. And so, you know, it's kind of a new reality to, to, to create these events online and see, see how that works. Yeah, even it, there's some interesting opportunities with this migration online of some of these big networking events. I was just speaking with some of our uh, colleagues over in uh, France at Midem, and they're moving online this year. The interesting thing is they've had a big push to engage uh, colleagues in Africa and India and some of the other new markets in South Asia. And these are people who may not be able to, tra to travel to France. And that's like complicated. There's visas, it's expensive. It just gets really, really burdensome. But an online conference there, like you were saying, Arabian, the playing field is kind of leveled. 
So folks who have been whose voices really need to be heard by the industry have a, have now a chance to get get heard. It's really exciting. Oh yeah, and it's funny you mentioned uh, Midem. I'm actually doing. I'm one of the. I guess they call them jurors instead of judges for Midem. And I just got an email that they are moving it all online and um, trying to figure out how they're going to do it digitally. So I think we're going to see that. And you know, I'm 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 bummed in the fact that like I was always you know, unless I was traveling, doing concerts or DJing um, or, you know, for uh, conferences or events, I'm pretty much a hermit. I'm in the house working on stuff. So for me, it's not that big of a deal. I like it here. <laughs> I'm good. But, you know, um, I'm bummed. I'm just bummed because I miss, you know, NAB conference was coming up. E3 was coming up. Midem was coming up. All of the conferences that I go to every single year, I'm not going to be able to go to. So we have to figure out a way to keep these things alive um, so that people don't miss out on the information, because I think there's going to be a big void. I'm actually seeing a lot of companies that were going to launch products, not launching their products. Now, I see Apple is just launching their stuff, you know, virtually online. Hey, here's a new iPad. It's coming. But some companies aren't able to do that because they need these conferences to get their message out. That's how people get the message out. And without that, some of the smaller companies don't have that, you know, uh, connected network to be able to launch a product and get people to buy. And nobody's spending money right now anyway. So why not hold on to the product? So there may be a slowdown in uh, new technology for a while because companies are scared to launch and not make money right now. There's no distribution. You know, there's no consumer um consumers being aware of the product and consumers are not really trying to spend money on things right now anyway. So it's going to be an interesting time. So I hope you guys don't mind me taking this in a slightly different direction, but I was just thinking as everyone was speaking, you all mentioned how quickly people are changing their behaviors and habits and their engagement with technology, sometimes for uh, in, a, in a way that's a little bit disheartening, whether and sometimes in ways that's really encouraging and exciting. I'm wondering, you know, if we can weather this crisis and adapt so quickly, what does it say about our potential to adapt to climate change? And what, you know, how, how for those of us in the music tech world, how should we be approaching that and thinking about that? Has coronavirus informed um, are thinking in any way, shape or form. What do you guys think about that? I can say how it affects me personally, which is, I, I guess, just a, a realisation of how achievable um, climate change is. Not to say that we can um, shut the whole entire globe down on a regular basis, but seeing how quickly um, pollution levels came down and and it was such an observable change. And I received an ad and a very well-placed ad, I think a couple of days ago saying, basically, did you know that it costs you $11 a month to offset the average American's carbon footprint? And I was thinking, well, I could just very easily incorporate that into my lifestyle now. Now I know how, now I've seen the change with my own eyes within a matter of weeks. That's a, that's a thing that's manageable for me. I think before, before now, climate change had seemed like such an, just a huge insurmountable problem for the individual to have a, an effect on. And now we have seen, although we are acting in a large group, the effect of the individual has made a difference. And I'm hoping that that's a, a way of thinking and a mode that will continue on after things start to move back to normal. I feel just generally speaking, um, 
people get more used to looking at graphs <laughs> and interpreting graphs and mathematical data. I think that's really interesting because now they're directly affected and they're affected today and not maybe in an uncertain um, number of years. And I think that's really interesting. And that might help the cause of climate change in the future. And then and I'm not sure about the US and other countries, but in Germany, we have one vi virologist um, that everybody really listens to. And he is keeping us updated on his own podcast. And it's for a lot of people, it's become a routine to listen to him. And they really value his words because he's very... Um, careful in what he says and he tries to stick to the facts as much as he can and he tries to tell people what is likely what is possible what is probable and all these things and I think that could help climate change too because suddenly everybody is listening to a scientist and he's almost becoming a pop star so that's just something that I recognized in the past weeks that I was thinking about in terms of climate change that could be interesting and that could actually change the way people respond to research around climate change and opinions around climate change and but we'll have to see if that really turns out that way yeah and i'm going to add to that something a little bit different that i actually read either um yesterday or the day before is that because I think we're up to almost 90% of the world's population is on lockdown right now, 80 something percent is like really, really big number that they found that the actual earth's core has started moving slower. Like there's not as much of a seismic activity in the earth's core because there's not a lot of, I guess, reverberation coming from cars and pollution, all of this stuff is like the world is kind of healing itself a little bit because of nobody's moving and no one's actually, you know, hurting the environment right now. So that's, that's a really big question. I think mainly what I said in the beginning, I wish for people to just remember how much they now miss being present with other people and how it feels to maybe slow down a little bit, be with themselves a little bit more and how much they value connection, how much it affects their life if they are more distanced from other people, and to just bring that with them and on future experiences. I would love to see that. I, I feel like we could talk about these topics for another couple hours, but I think we're going to wrap it up. And I'm wondering, is there any last sort of statement or thought about how technology, music, and crisis um, work together any sort of hopeful thoughts for the future any directions you'd love to see technology take us that might make us um, better humans um why don't we start with uh Berke for a second here and then um, i'd love to hear from arabian and helen i would echo all of those thoughts especially the last one i know arabian i can talk for hours on on uh what we think about record deals and record labels in general um but i hope that I mean, personally, for me, I'm, I'm a massive uh, 
recluse and a hermit and any opportunity to cancel on plans I'm the first in line to do that and for the first time I've been the one thinking you know it would actually be nice would be nice to go out and spend some time with people in real life so I hope I'll carry that forward into the future of, of um uh, taking opportunities when when they're when they're available to go and spend time um and being more um active in the world instead of um, lurking on it and looking through the window, watching it pass by, and that and ca- that counts on in online as well as in person. But kind of getting involved and and interacting with people. I've I found my behaviour already changing in that I'm now reaching out directly to artists that I like and saying, giving them a shout out and saying, hey, I I, I like this. Whereas perhaps I wouldn't have done that before. Um, reaching out to people from the past, so I would thought I'm too busy to catch up with that person. I'm I'm hoping that those types of behaviors and just more connections, more communication and less consumption um, it is it carries on into the future. And also on a wider level that artists can understand that, yes, on the one hand, they can be a force for drawing attention to a movement, but they can also be a part of changing behaviors. And we obviously we've seen that already with, you know, Billie Eilish doing a, um, uh, carbon neutral tour and or things like that but the, the artists can be more than just um, a, a a way of highlighting an issue they can also be part of the change and I'm, I'm hoping that we'll all come together and 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 continue that behavior after this weirdness hopefully goes away yes um, so for me I think it's going to be about outreach and the change of outreach. I'm starting to see, the funny thing I can actually say is I'm starting to see non-social media people. Like I've got friends, um, you know, I'm I'm an older gentleman. (laughs) So a lot of my old school buddies who don't care about social media, don't care about Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, WhatsApp, any of those things, you're, you're now starting to see them like, hey, I'm gonna start a radio show. I'm gonna start a podcast. I'm gonna start doing this. Like it's forcing people into the future. And that's the only way that for the next month or two that people are going to be able to connect with each other with each other is to be part of this new revolution. And I think it's going to become the norm because for a while people are going to be really, really careful about interacting with people that they don't know. Um, so I think that that's going to be one of the big changes is this uh way that people communicate. And also, I think that unfortunately, for the major record companies, I think they're going to have to really, really be a little more fair with um, entertainers and artists, because this is giving artists a aha moment, like, wait a minute, I can talk to people directly. Maybe I don't need that major record label that takes 70% of my royalties because I can interact directly with my fans and monetize that. So I think there's going to be a, a, a big shift in how people make money going forward as well. That's awesome. That's a great, uh, thank you for that closing thought. That's a, uh, I, I would uh, love, I'd love to echo that as well. Um, so everybody, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and uh, dealing with some of our crazy bumps along the way. We podcasters are having as much fun with uh, remote communication as everyone else. Um, this was really, really awesome and a fascinating conversation that, uh, like I said, we could probably keep chatting about for hours. Anyway, if you, a uh, listener, would love to catch up with more thoughts about music technology and music technology, 
you should definitely subscribe to our newsletter and check out our podcast and do all the other fun stuff at musictectonics.com. This again is Trister New Year Jaeger, the irregular host of the Music Tectonics podcast. And thank you, Luann Williams from South by Southwest for bringing all these amazing thinkers together. And thank you everyone for the time and concern and thought and taking a moment from your day at home or evening at home to, to speak. I'll be happy to link to any of any, if you guys want to find out more about our guests we'll have some more information in the show notes and online so check them out Berke has a really beautiful set of work that you should look at online that's really fascinating all right everybody thanks so much and take care stay healthy You're listening to Music Tectonics.